Welcome to the Think Anesthesia Continuing Education Podcast. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Martinez, Board Certified Specialist in Veterinary Anesthesia and Analgesia and U.S. Director of Technical Services at Jurox Animal Health Incorporated. This podcast is race approved for continuing education for veterinarians and veterinary technicians and nurses. Please visit the podcast description at www.thinkanesthesia.education for more information on how to complete the requirements to obtain your CE certificate for this podcast. The content of this podcast represents the best and evidence-based in peer-reviewed medicine. Some content may be the opinion of Jurox Incorporated, a subsidiary of Jurox Proprietary Limited and its technical services department. In this episode, Preparing for Anesthesia, we will discuss the recommendations that should be considered when preparing to anesthetize your patient, from informed owner consent, fasting times, and selecting what blood work to perform, to the physical examination and completing the safety checklist, we will take a look at recommendations we should consider in veterinary practice when anesthetizing dogs and cats. Let's first talk about informed owner consent, with the emphasis on the word informed. We all recognize how important it is to effectively communicate with the pet's owner. This is an opportunity to talk to them about your assessment of their pet, your anesthetic plan, and the risks of anesthesia. The owner of your patient must understand what you have presented to them, and they should be given an opportunity to participate in the discussion. Once you feel the owner has been fully informed about the anesthetic procedure and their questions have been answered to their satisfaction, they can then be asked to sign a written consent form. Listeners of this podcast are encouraged to check with their local and state veterinary regulatory bodies for guidance on the use of specific informed consent documents. It is also helpful to discuss with the owner or caregiver their choices for the level of resuscitation should cardiac arrest occur. You can then document their choice on your monitoring chart so it is readily accessible to all staff members while the pet is anesthetized. To help identify risk factors prior to anesthetizing your patient, obtain a complete history, including any previous sedation or anesthetic events. Ask about adverse drug responses, such as either poor or excessive sedation with prior drug protocols. Review the patient's current medication including supplements and any over-the-counter products to ensure there will not be undesirable drug interactions. Prior to the day of anesthesia, inform the owner about any recommended changes to their pet's medication regimen. A common question I hear from veterinary professionals is, how long should my patients be fasted prior to anesthesia? Withholding food prior to general anesthesia is done to reduce the risk of regurgitation and aspiration of food material, which could lead to serious, if not fatal, aspiration pneumonia. For adult patients greater than four months of age, food is withheld for six to eight hours. For pediatric patients, food is withheld for no more than four hours prior to anesthesia. Access to water is allowed for up to one to two hours prior to anesthesia. A thorough physical examination with emphasis on the cardiovascular and respiratory systems is performed on the day of anesthesia. This is also the time to measure and record baseline variables, such as heart rate, respiratory rate, and blood pressure. Any abnormalities detected, such as a cardiac murmur, an arrhythmia, or increased lung sounds, may require additional diagnostic tests. 
Depending on the patient's status and your clinic standard procedures, laboratory blood work may be performed. Which test should be completed depends on many factors, such as patient history, physical examination findings, previous abnormal test results, the surgical procedure to be performed, and if the information obtained from the test results will change the anesthetic management of your patient. Upon completion of the pre-anesthetic evaluation, patient history, physical examination, and diagnostic testing, you are now ready to categorize your patient for fitness of the patient for anesthesia and surgery. The American Society of Anesthesiologists, the ASA, has developed a patient classification system for use in human patients. Many veterinarians, including myself, use the ASA physical status scale for our veterinary patients. The scale ranges from 1 to 5, with a score of 1 given to healthy patients, and a score of 5 is given to those patients not expected to survive 24 hours without the procedure. As you have probably already figured out, those with a higher physical status score may be more likely to experience anesthetic complications because their physiology is compromised. An addition of E to the score denotes an emergency surgery or procedure is needed because a delay in treatment will lead to a significant increase in a threat to life or body part. Once again, keeping the line of client communication open at all times is very important. Any changes in your assessment of the patient's status since your last communication with the owner or caregiver should trigger a phone call or face-to-face -face conversation before proceeding any further. Concurrent with the steps you have taken in preparing your patient for anesthesia is the development of an individualized anesthetic plan, including which drugs to select, choice and rate of intravenous fluids, and techniques for pain management. There isn't a one-size-fits-all anesthetic plan that will work for every patient you anesthetized. Your plan should be tailored to the needs of your patient, taking into consideration your available resources such as your anesthesia and monitoring equipment, nursing staff, and drug availability in your clinic. When completed, your plan should have the following components outlined for the patient. Sedation and analgesia, induction and maintenance of anesthesia, monitoring and support, including your response to any adverse events, such as hypoventilation or hypotension. Choosing which sedative, analgesic, and anesthetic drugs to use, as well as their doses, should be based on the needs and risks you identified during your pre-anesthetic evaluation. However, you should be flexible and able to respond to the changing needs of your patient and their response to treatment. The plan for pre-medication should provide adequate sedation and analgesia. A patient that is calm, relaxed, and pain-free is easier to handle while placing the intravenous catheter and monitoring equipment, such as the ECG leads and non-invasive blood pressure cuff, and might even allow for pre-oxygenation prior to induction of anesthesia. It has been shown that pre-oxygenation, even if only for three minutes, is beneficial since it can delay the onset of hypoxia during induction of anesthesia. Proper pre-medication will allow for dose reduction of subsequent anesthetic induction and maintenance drugs, thus minimizing their dose-dependent cardiovascular and respiratory depressant effects. Remember, general anesthetics are the most dangerous drugs that you will be administering to your patient, so minimizing the dose rate should be a goal. For stressed, anxious, or fractious patients, you should consider having the owner administer anti-anxiety drugs prior to the admission to the clinic. 
For elective procedures, a period of desensitization and counterconditioning will be extremely valuable. Use of medications such as trazodone or gabapentin are increasing in popularity to help ensure a calm and fear-free experience for both your patient and staff. A more detailed discussion of the management of these patients will be the topic of the upcoming Think Anesthesia podcast. We can also spend an entire podcast or two on just pain management. However, because of time constraints for this podcast, we will only address pain management in more general terms. Your plan for the prevention or treatment of pain will likely include systemic analgesics and may also include local or regional anesthetic techniques. Having a multimodal plan for analgesia is preferred because it will allow you to use lower doses and or have a longer dosing interval between treatments, thus minimizing the drug's potential for adverse or unwanted side effects. Systemic analgesic agents include opioids, NSAIDs, alpha-2 agonists, ketamine, and lidocaine. Local and regional anesthetic techniques include infiltrative ring blocks, specific nerve blocks to desensitize the affected area, such as dental blocks, as well as epidural anesthesia. As we have already discussed, the choice of drugs and procedures will depend on patient status, drug availability, and your comfort level in performing the local and regional anesthetic techniques. Similar to your plan for sedation and analgesia, the selection of induction and maintenance anesthetic drugs will depend on patient status and drug availability. Most veterinarians will select an intravenous induction agent, such as propofol, alfaxalone, or a benzodiazepine dissociative combination that can be titrated intravenously to effect until endotracheal intubation is possible. Maintenance of anesthesia can be completed using an inhalant anesthetic agent, either isoflurane or sevoflurane. The vaporizer dial setting can be kept at a lower percent if you include other drugs such as opioids, ketamine, or lidocaine, either as a bolus injection or as a constant or variable rate infusion. The utilization of other analgesics or anesthetics to aid in the maintenance of anesthesia is what anesthesiologists call a MAC sparing effect. These drugs will help minimize the inhalant anesthetics dose-dependent cardiovascular and respiratory depressant effects. Our anesthetic plan should also include post-operative management of the patient, including sedation, analgesia, and thermal support. Recovery from anesthesia is a critical time, and a plan should be in place to include the location of where the patient will recover, who will be monitoring the patient until they are completely recovered, and a plan to treat any issues that develop, such as pain or hypothermia. There is nothing worse than a patient waking up painful or excited and not being prepared to manage them promptly and appropriately. Now that you have a solid plan for anesthetizing your patient and you're ready to get started, but wait, let's have a timeout and talk about the use of safety checklists. Consider this scenario. You have premedicated your patient, placed your intravenous catheter, induced anesthesia, intubated with an appropriately sized endotracheal tube, and connected the patient to the breathing system. However, when you reach to squeeze the reservoir bag, you find the bag completely deflated. You begin to panic and quickly need to figure out how to deliver oxygen and ventilate your patient before hypoxia or significant hypercapnia develops. You quickly scan the anesthetic machine and breathing system for an obvious source of the problem. Is there oxygen? Is the flow meter working? Should I push the oxygen flush valve? Is there a disconnect somewhere? And you ask yourself, or loudly to anyone in the area, who set up this machine? 
You look closer and notice that the oxygen tank had not been turned on. You quickly turn it on, set the oxygen flow meter to the desired flow rate, and breathe a sigh of relief when you see the reservoir bag fill up and your patient take a nice deep breath. You have just learned a valuable lesson that failure to check your anesthesia equipment prior to use can lead to significant patient injury, or in this scenario, a near miss. Utilizing a safety checklist for all your patients prior to anesthesia will help to ensure that you are adequately prepared to anesthetize your patient and prepared for an adverse event or complication. A patient safety checklist for anesthesia is a systemic set of actions to be performed in a clinical setting with the goal that no step will be forgotten. The concept of using a checklist in human surgical and anesthetic practice was spurred by the publication of the WHO Surgical Safety Checklist in 2008, which was based on the Safe Surgery Saves Lives initiative. The use of safety checklists in a medical setting, specifically anesthesia, has been compared to checklists that pilots use in aviation. We actually have much in common. We use modern technology to control our patients, much like pilots use to control their aircraft. We both have a complex working space with many human and technical elements interacting with each other, and we both have the need for teamwork to achieve the shared goal of a positive outcome. In aviation, there are checklists for specific portions of the flight. Critical events such as engine startup, takeoff, descent, and landing of the plane. In medicine, checklists are used to critical events such as prior to induction of anesthesia, prior to the start of surgery, prior to recovery from anesthesia. Checklists have also been developed to help prevent errors when transferring patient care from one individual to another, such as from the anesthesia care provider to the intensive care nurse. Evidence from the use of checklists in human medicine have shown a significant reduction in the number of incidences, especially those attributed to human error. Oftentimes, a checklist will ask that you have confirmed patient identity, surgical procedure to be performed, and if necessary, which limb, eye, or ear, right or left, is involved. The checklist should ensure that everything you need is accessible and ready for use. This includes equipment used during anesthesia, such as making sure the light bulb on the laryngoscope is functional, the cuff of your endotracheal tube has been checked and is leak-free, the monitoring equipment is in good working order, and the anesthesia machine and breathing system is functioning properly. The checklist will allow you to confirm that the anesthesia machine and breathing system is free of leaks, there is adequate oxygen supply, the vaporizer is adequately filled, sodalime is not exhausted if using a circle system, the pop-up valve is in the open position, and waste anesthetic gases will be properly scavenged. The safety checklist should include the confirmation of the dosage calculations of all drugs, including those needed for the treatment of complications and emergencies. Ideally, the doses of emergency drugs are calculated and every member of the healthcare team is familiar with their roles during emergency resuscitation and are familiar with current recommendations. The Recover CPR initiative was developed by the Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Society in collaboration with over 100 board-certified veterinary specialists from around the world and is a great resource to get you started. There are several sources for obtaining a safety checklist or you could develop one of your own. At thinkanesthesia.education, you can download the anesthesia safety checklist developed by the Association of Veterinary Anesthetists. Whichever list you choose to use, your checklist should be easily understood by all members of your healthcare team, 
contain only steps that are critically necessary and completed with the understanding that any of the items or steps can be modified if needed to ensure a thorough completion of the checklist. Your patient's medical record should include an anesthesia monitoring chart. Anesthesia documentation is a detailed account of the patient's anesthesia care during all phases of anesthesia. This is a legal document and care should be taken to record information accurately and legibly. The anesthesia chart starts with documentation of patient signalment, ASA physical status score, informed consent, owner contact information, pre-anesthetic physical examination and blood work findings, as well as CPR level of resuscitation approved by the pet owner. You then continue to use the chart to record the administration of pre-anesthetic and induction drugs and continue with documentation of inhaled anesthetic concentration delivery, oxygen flow rate, and intravenous fluid therapy. The patient's vital signs such as heart rate, respiratory rate, arterial blood pressure, and entitled carbon dioxide and oxygen saturation should be recorded at regular intervals from anesthetic induction and continued through the recovery period. Any interventions such as analgesic drug administration, fluid boluses, or local regional blocks are also documented on your monitoring chart. There are several sources for obtaining a monitoring chart for your use in your practice. At thinkanesthesia.education, you can download an anesthesia monitoring chart that the technical services team at Jurox Animal Health has developed for use by veterinary professionals. Proper patient preparation and the development of an individualized anesthetic plan will help to optimize patient care and outcome. Vigilance is the motto of the American Society of Anesthesiologists. Vigilance is defined as sustained attention and is necessary for appropriate clinical decision-making. In anesthesia, we should be vigilant in detecting anything that could signal the potential for patient injury. We work in a complex, time-constrained, and stressful work environment. I challenge my listeners to develop a process to prepare your patients for anesthesia, including open communication with their owners, a thorough physical examination, and checking and then double-checking your drug dose calculations, and then vigilance while monitoring and supporting your patient throughout the anesthetic period. Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Anesthesia Continuing Anesthesia Podcast Series, Preparing for Anesthesia, brought to you by Jurox Animal Health. Jurox is committed to improving the quality of anesthesia globally. As a result of this commitment, we have produced a series of race-approved CE content. Be sure to visit thinkanesthesia.education for a listing of CE material, including available podcasts. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Martinez, and remember, when you think anesthesia, think Jurox. Jurox.